The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end... Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Good morning. It's a little bit cold this morning, isn't it? Takes us a little bit to get going. I just want to say it's great to be with you again this morning, Uh, and I want to say that I love you guys. Uh, It really is a joy to be able to fellowship with you. I think we've been here a number of times now as we've had family holidays, and it's just such a blessing to see churches that love Jesus, love his word, uh, and are rallying together around the gospel. Uh, And so... This morning as we come and as we open God's Word, uh, what a joy that we get to hear from the creator of the universe. What a joy. So keep your Bibles open uh, to Ephesians 6. We are going to be sitting in the Gospel of Peace this morning. But I want to begin just by telling you a story. Uh, About uh, two months ago, I was invited by a friend to come gel blasting. I don't know if you know what gel blasting is, but it's like paintball, but instead of paintballs, they're shooting these gels at you. I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I turned up, and it was the weirdest subculture I have ever joined or been a part of, right? Uh, That's probably about enough that needs to be said about that place. But I walked in and had no idea really what I'd said yes to. I was wearing a a short sleeve shirt, wearing pretty short pants, a pair of joggers, and that was it. Uh, They gave me the most flimsy set of goggles you have ever seen, and I got hammered, absolutely hammered for three hours. And some of you are thinking, oh, it's gel blasting. Surely it's not that bad. But it was that bad that I was bleeding by the end of it. Like, I had bruises everywhere. I got home, and my wife saw my back, and she immediately exclaimed that I had ringworms all over my (laughs) back. But I was set up, because when I left the gel blasting centre, I walked past this room, which was called the Armoury, which no one chose to tell me about So everyone else who was playing was completely kitted up. They had these full face masks on. They had vests down here. They had everything around them but me. 
I got absolutely slammed. All the armor was available, but I got absolutely demolished. And you see, this is exactly what Paul is trying to show us in Ephesians 6. The Christian life can absolutely be difficult and dangerous. We live in a spiritual battle. I've been reading through the Gospel of Mark myself recently, and it is amazing to see the spiritual battle that rages all around us. And for some of us as Christians, I think we feel like God's kind of this guy that's sitting up in the sky and he's set up this massive challenge for us and he's just kind of sat back and said, good luck, hopefully you make it to the end. But what Paul is showing us here in Ephesians 6 is that God has given us all of the armor that we need so that we might stand firm. I wonder this morning whether you know that God really loves you and has given you everything that you need so that you might stand firm. Do you know right now that God really loves you and has given you everything that you need so that you might stand firm in this spiritual battle? And not just limp to the end, but that you might faithfully walk towards that day when you would see the Lord Jesus face to face. Here's a quote from a guy by the name of Peter O'Brien. And he says this about the armour that Paul has been talking about. He says the Isaianic references, that's just a complex way of saying Isaiah, All of these references which Paul is using to depict the Lord as the host, as a warrior dressed for battle. The full armor of God which the readers are urged to put on as they engage in a deadly spiritual warfare is Yahweh's own armor. How incredible is that? That Yahweh, the host of glory would give us his very own armour. That's how much you and I are loved in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And this morning we're going to come and we're going to sit in verse 15 where we're told to put on the sandals or the shoes of readiness, which is the gospel of peace. And I want us to start by being honest that this is a huge issue in our society, in our churches, and in our lives. I'm going to put my hand up right from the start and say that I can be a deeply anxious person. And some of you here this morning are exactly like that. And even if you're not a naturally anxious person, the truth is that there are worries which confront all of us in life. But God comes to us this morning in his word and he says, come to me because I am the one who wants to love you in the midst of the greatest worries that you will face. And so the plan this morning is very simply that we're going to look at the character of peace, the scheming of the devil, and then practically at the end, how do we put on this gospel of peace. So if you're a note taker, the character of peace, the scheming of the devil, and the putting on 
of peace. Let's just look down at verse 15 again and read it together. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers wore this boot, but it's kind of more like, you might say, pluggers. They look a little bit more like pluggers. It was this open-toed leather boot. We've got a photo of it there, obviously a reconstruction. Uh, Maybe you might race out and try to find some of these later. But their function was a little bit like football boots today, where you've got cleats on the bottom. Basically, the way they put these shoes together was that they would turn them upside down and then bang these nails through the bottom of them. Now, you can imagine how badly this could go wrong if you had these nails poking up into your feet while you were at war. But the idea was that it just kind of went up through the sole and then you'd have these things sticking down. And so you can imagine that if you were in a battle, hand-to-hand combat, you put these shoes on. And these sandals held you in position so that you would not be pushed or walked back by the enemy. And Paul says that this is the function of the gospel of peace, that it would steady the Christian in the face of the assaults of the evil one. And the question for us is, exactly what is this peace of the gospel? All the time as you're reading the New Testament, you hear this idea of peace. Jesus is the one who came into the world to bring peace. And you read all of Paul's letters, and one of the first things he says in his introduction is that they would know the grace and peace of God. But often when we read this word peace in the Bible, we see it as a little bit like world peace in some kind of beauty contest. It's like this meaningless, empty sentiment. But you see, when you look at the Bible, you see that peace is not just this warm yet empty sentiment. It is this concrete reality that you and I are invited into by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Paul unpacks this idea of the gospel of peace earlier in the book of Ephesians. You can turn to Ephesians 2. Uh, Verse 14, now, to give you the context here, Paul is talking about the peace that Jew and Gentile now have together in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. But as you look at the way that he unpacks this gospel of peace, you actually see the concrete reality that you and I have in the gospel of peace. Look at verse 14. He says, For he himself is our peace, he's speaking about Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And here's the kicker. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. See, Jew and Gentile now have peace together. But what is the source of their peace? This is what we have to see if we're going to get this gospel of peace this morning. The source of their peace is that they actually, first and foremost, now have peace with God, restored with the creator of the universe, the one who has made all things. 
Peace with God comes before peace with anything else in this world. Just step back with me a moment to the grand story of the Bible. All the way back in Genesis 1, we see that God is the creator of the universe. He took the chaos, the darkness, the waters, and what did he do? He formed order from the darkness. He shaped a beautiful paradise for you and I to enjoy. And you and I are made to find our security, our joy, our meaning, and our purpose as we live in relationship with him. If you were a Jew, which Paul was, you knew that peace was this idea of shalom that comes from the Garden of Eden. Everything living in perfect relationship with God, the one who is the Lord of peace. But you see, the problem for you and I is that we have rebelled against God. Why do you and I live in a world of chaos? Ask yourself that right now. Why do you live in a world of chaos? Well, it's because we have rebelled against the God who gives peace. Eric Raymond, a pastor in America, said this. I think I might have the quote up on the screen. God is the source of peace, the maker of peace, and the one who gives peace. There is no true and lasting peace outside of him. In a most natural sense, we think of peace as order. Remember the first words of the Bible, in the beginning God, and then in the subsequent verses, God speaks creation into existence. He brings order through his creative word. He orderly brings creation into order. This reflects him as the gospel of peace. Just stop and think about your life right now and the thing that causes you greatest anxiety. It might be a chronic health issue. It might be a broken relationship. It might be that you have serious mental health struggles. It might be that you've lost your job. It might be that you're about to walk into a doctor's surgery and be told the words, you have cancer. And the Bible would say to us, the answer to our peace problem is not that we would just have that little issue resolved, but that you and I would be restored right back in relationship with the God who brings peace. You see, there's something so incredibly comforting about the gospel story because it actually tells us that you and I actually have reason to be a bit fearful of our world. See, if if you're not a Christian this morning, there's actually no explanation for you as to why you have an anxious heart. It just is. You come into this world and you go out of this world. There is no explanation. There is no rhyme. There is no reason to anything. But when you come and you know the gospel story, 
You know that God is the one who longs that you and I would know peace that comes from right relationship with him, which in turn brings right relationship with everything else. You see, every single one of us has rebelled against the God who brings peace. And that's why you and I live in a world where there is reason for fear and anxiety. But hear this this morning. The good news of the gospel is what? That you and I are restored back into relationship with this great God. That on the cross, Jesus shed his blood to take away the hostility between me and God, between you and God, and between each of us. And this now means that we have joined a grand and cosmic peace project. Come back to those words in Ephesians 2. He, Jesus, reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. On the cross, Jesus shed his blood. He paid the price. He did everything for you and I so that we might be restored in relationship with God. So that instead of being his enemies, we might become his friends. In Isaiah 52, we've already had it read for us this morning. We're told this. How beautiful on the mountains are those, are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. You see, if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus this morning, you have accepted this good news that Jesus has come into the world to pay the price for your sins, then whatever is going on in your life this morning, hear these words. Your God reigns. In the quietness of your heart, I want you to name the thing that causes you the greatest worry. For me at the moment, there's about 20 things coming to my mind because that's the way I'm wired. But hear these words. Your God reigns. Your God reigns over cancer. Your God reigns over broken relationship. Your God reigns over a horrible work situation. Our God reigns. And this... This is the good news of the gospel of peace. I think that so many of us see the gospel as just this down payment for heaven. But it's actually the assurance that peace has broken back into the world. You see, you and I still live in a world where where sin and the devil are doing their best to wreck things. But if you have put your trust in Jesus, the Bible says this to you, that God is working all things for your good. 
that there is nothing happening in your life that is not just beyond the control of God, but that is not just, it's not beyond his ability to work good in the midst of what is going on in your life right now. That's the nature of peace, the gospel of peace, that we are restored with absolute confidence back into relationship with the God of the universe and that we have now joined his cosmic peace project as we look forward to that day when Jesus is going to rule in the new heavens and the new earth in righteousness and peace. I want us to spend just a few moments now moving on to thinking about the scheming of the devil. This, this is the gift that God has given us in the gospel of peace. But how is it that Satan then seeks to work against this great gift that we have been given? As has been helpfully pointed out already in this series, one of the devil's names is Deceiver. And so his goal, quite simply, is that we would not believe the things which are absolutely and concretely true in the gospel. It's a little bit like me. That whole armory is given to us. It is there freely available for us, but that we simply would not realize. But I want to suggest this morning that I think that there are two primary ways that the devil schemes against us particularly as it relates to peace. And to explore these two ways, I want us to... We're going to turn to the book of Exodus. Now, at this point, you think that's a long way from the book of Ephesians. What's he doing? But I want you just to bear with me for a moment. Uh, You can turn to Exodus 3 if you want. But I'm just going to explain the context. God's people have been in slavery in Egypt... But God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush and he says to Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece and you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him to let my people go. Now let's be fair to Moses for a moment. If this were me, like my heart would be kind of going faster and faster thinking that is a fearful moment. You've got to remember, Pharaoh is the, the most powerful leader in the known world, and God has said to Moses, I want you to just waltz in there and say, let my people go. And then in Exodus 3, Moses says this to God, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? And God says, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The first way that the devil stokes anxiety in our hearts is by getting us to think about ourselves too much. Hear that again. The devil stokes anxiety in our hearts by getting us to think about ourselves too much. Do you see Moses, what Moses is doing? He's confronted by a fearful situation that brings anxiety to his heart and he turns inward on himself. What does he say? Who am 
I. Now, I would suggest to you that if Moses ran off to book depository or he went to many counsellors or psychologists, he would be told something like this. Moses, you are amazing. You can do anything that you set your heart on. Go get him, tiger. You see, our world says that the, the, the answer to fear and anxiety is that you would rid your mind of negative thoughts, that you would develop patterns of positive thinking and that you would inflate your view of yourself so that you are equal to the thing that is making you anxious. Now, I, I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm not saying that you should not see a counsellor or a psychologist. God, in his kindness, has given us these people to be very helpful with us. But when we see a counsellor or a psychologist, God is not saying, let go of all of your Christian thinking right at this point. You see, often secular thinking, when it comes to anxiety in our hearts, is that we will seek inner peace by avoiding reality. Who am I? Well, I'm big enough to confront whatever situation faces me. But sociologists in particular now have realised that this is actually only further creating anxiety. Why? Because you and I know quite simply that we are not big enough, we are not good enough, we are not able enough to deal with the chaos that confronts us. I'll give you a humorous example. A couple of weeks ago, I was down in Tasmania visiting my wife's family, and most afternoons I was going for a run along this beautiful river, peace-filled, right? I came back from one of my runs, and my son Sam was absolutely terrified, inconsolable. Like, you know those moments where you see a kid and you think something absolutely horrific has happened, and my wife explained to me that there was this dog that was as big as a horse that was not on a lead that just charged directly at him. Now, in that moment, what's going on in Sam's heart? Well, sheer terror. Now, I want you to imagine that in that moment, my wife just yelled at him and said, Sam, get rid of your negative thoughts and develop patterns of positive thinking. And Sam, just pretend that you are bigger than the dog. Is that going to take away the terror from his heart? You see, if Satan can get you and I to think more about ourselves and less about God, he's actually got us cornered. You and I live in a world that is full of chaos and brokenness. The Bible tells you that that is true. There is cancer, there is broken relationships, there is job insecurity, there is mental health challenges. And in that moment, God says, don't think more of yourself. Think more of your God. The one who says to you and I, you are restored in relationship with me. I love you. I am the divine mighty warrior and I am the one who reigns eternally. I am the one who will never leave you. I am the one who will never forsake you. If we think more about ourselves rather than the God who is all loving and powerful, 
it will only further stoke anxiety in our hearts because this is unreality. The second way that I think that the devil schemes, and it's just the flip side of Moses' first question, is that we think too little about God. What's the first question Moses asks? Who am I? And God replies and says, I am with you. Isn't that a beautiful response? Doesn't pump his tires up, doesn't tell him he's wonderful, doesn't fill his head with all of this positive thing. He just says, I am with you. And then what does Moses do? Moses says, that's great that you were with me, but when I go to the people, they are then going to say, but who are you? It's interesting. I think Moses is actually revealing what is going on in his own heart. That he does not believe that God is big enough or loving enough to reveal himself to his people. And I I think that this is exactly the way that we can be with our anxiety when we're confronted with situations that are so far out of our control, we become increasingly focused on the cause of our anxiety that this big God that we worship kind of just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Who are you, God? I think Satan's strategy is a little bit like trying to get us to look at God through the wrong end of a telescope. I can remember my grandparents, I lived at Redcliffe and they had these binoculars and I didn't realise that you you had to flip them the right way around. I thought it's great, you get the big bits and they fit right over your eyes and you look out and you think, gee, that ocean just looks smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And when Satan gets us in that place, anxiety grows and grows and grows and grows because the God who says, your God reigns, is a God who is incompetent, unable, and untrustworthy. My dad is a medical doctor, or I should say was a medical doctor. Don't go and see him now. He would be no good for you. <laughs> But as a kid, when I was speaking with him about my anxiety, he would say to me, think more about God and think more about others. And the principle that he was teaching me was that as a feeble Christian, as a person who lives in a broken world that is full of chaos that more than anything what my anxious heart needed was to know that I have a God who loves me deeply and who is perfectly able. This morning, if you really struggle with anxiety, you need to hear that you have a God who loves you deeply. And you need to hear this morning, as hard as it might be, that you are actually unable to deal with the chaos and the brokenness in this world, but that you have a God 
who says, won't you put your trust in me? Won't, won't you come to me with all of the things that make you weary and burdened and come to the one who can give you true rest for your soul? We've looked at the nature of peace. We've looked at the scheming of the evil one. And as we come to a close now, I just want to look very practically at how we put on peace. It's wonderful to hear, isn't it, that we have this peace of the gospel, but tomorrow morning when your anxious heart gets going, what are the things that you and I need to do? Well, in verse 10, just come back to Ephesians 6, verse 10, Paul says, finally, be strong. Is it be strong and full stop? It's a, it's a be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I would say one of the most poorly misunderstood doctrines of the Christian faith is what it means to be in Christ. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm in Christ. I've put my trust in Jesus. But what does that mean on Monday morning or Tuesday morning or Friday morning? Well, quite simply, it's, it's a little bit like when you get in an aeroplane. Wherever the aeroplane goes, you go. And so when we become Christians, we are now wrapped up in what is true of Jesus. Everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of us. And so the question for you and I is, how do we get more and more and more of Jesus? And that's going to be the answer to every single one of these pieces of the armor of God, because the wonderful truth of the gospel is that it is not calling you to do something which is not true of your elder brother, the Lord Jesus, first. But I'm going to suggest three practical things as we seek to get more of the Lord Jesus and put on his gospel of peace. The first thing I'm going to suggest is that you need to regularly and consistently be part of your embassy of peace. And you're thinking, what on earth is the embassy of peace? It is your local church family right here. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The underlying assumption that sits right throughout the book of, the, of Ephesians is that God is not just intent on saving you as an individual. He is intent on saving a people for himself. And so when you and I put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we join this embassy of peace, which is an outpost of God's kingdom, which Jesus is going to rule eternally in righteousness and peace. And so what you and I need to do if we're going to put on this gospel of peace, remembering all that we have in the Lord Jesus, is turn up to be part of your embassy of the gospel of peace. There is a brave young woman who is part of the discipleship group that my wife and I run. She struggles deeply with anxiety and she's told us that when she's feeling deeply anxious, she wants nothing more than to simply lock herself in a room and be by herself. 
I would say there's some of you who are thinking, yes, that's exactly me. But she's also said that she knows that the very best thing for her to do is to come and be with God's people, attending services on Sunday, being part of a discipleship group, reaching out to her brothers and sisters in Christ who will remind her of what is true in her most deeply anxious moments. There is no other place in this chaotic world that is going to remind you that you have a God who loves you, that you have a God who is in control, that you have joined God's cosmic peace project and that there is nothing that will happen in your life that is beyond his loving control. If you are an anxious person this morning, something's going on in your life right now, or this is something that is causing you grief over and over again, I want to encourage you to speak to your brothers and sisters about it. You have a family who have been joined together around the Lord Jesus together, and we get the joy of helping one another to put on the armor of God together. And if you are not a naturally anxious person, you're not struggling with this at the moment, invest in your church family now so that there will be a people who will encourage you when the chaos of life becomes too much. An embassy of peace. The second practical thing that we need to do is to join the story of peace regularly. What's the story of peace? It's simply reading the Bible. In Ephesians 4, Paul says we're to be a family that are speaking the truth in love. You join the embassy of peace and then we speak the truth in love. What is the truth that Paul is talking about? Well, quite simply, it's all of the doctrines of God that are found in the Bible. A secular response to anxiety is to avoid thinking out the implications of the fragility of your human experience. The irony of our world is that on the one hand, it says that you and I are nothing more than a collection of molecules that have randomly come together, but you can do anything. You can conquer whatever anxiety confronts you. You Do you see how silly a secular response to anxiety can be? But God's response is that our anxious hearts would be comforted by truth. That the world is a chaotic and broken place, groaning under the weight of sin. But in Jesus we are loved. That in Jesus the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. That in Jesus nothing can happen to us that is outside of his control. That in the midst of the greatest challenges, the greatest brokenness that we will face, that God is working for our good. The last practical thing we need to do to put on this posture of peace is that we would be people of thankfulness and prayer. In the Apostles Paul's letters, time and time again, he begins his letters with a time of thanksgiving and prayer. And in some instances, he's writing these letters as he sits in jail. And the start of Ephesians is no different. In chapter 1, Paul says this, I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe according to the working of his great might? See, like prayer and thanksgiving, individually, corporately, together, is like the reworking of the contours of a great river in our heart. My heart, my heart is prone to wandering from my Saviour. My heart is prone to anxiety, to fearfulness. But every time I come and remind myself of what I have in God... As I come and as I pray with my brothers and sisters, it's like I'm reworking with God's help by His Holy Spirit these deep rivers of fear and anxiety towards a river of peace as I remember that my God reigns. I would say there are some of you here this morning who struggle deeply with anxiety and you have not ever told another brother or sister about it. But then you've also never ever had a brother or sister come and pray with you. There are times when in the midst of anxiety you just can't even pray. There are no words that are there. But then you come to a brother or sister and you, you just say, this is where I'm at. Would you pray? At the end of the service, there's going to be a time to do that. And I want to say, come. Come and let someone pray for you. As we finish now, I just want to say to those of you who are really struggling with anxiety, that God loves you with an everlasting love. I think some of you think that the anxiety in your hearts is like this sign of being a weak Christian. But the invitation of the Bible is not this demand that you're a pathetic, weak Christian, but that you have a Savior who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You also need to know that your family loves you imperfectly but with the same love that your father has for you thank you for listening to this podcast from life center church located on the sunshine coast we exist to make mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon declare and display the gospel of jesus christ in all of life if you would like more information about us please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au we provide our podcast free of charge Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 